We begin, we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we send peace and blessings upon our beloved Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon his family, his companions, and those who follow them until the end of time. So last year, subhanAllah, we actually had two halakas every week on Tuesday and Thursday. Thursdays was tafsir, and then Tuesday was actually like a course. It's kind of gotten inverted this year because the first semester I was teaching here on campus. So... Uh, co-teaching a class with uh, Sheikh Fayaz. So we didn't really have the capacity uh, to teach twice a week. But then after the semester, Imam Khalid reached out to me. So like, can you start like more like of a course type uh, class? So uh, last year we actually finished one book, Essentials of Islamic Faith, um, which is published. And then this is the second book. I, I run an online institute called Swiss. It's going to launch, uh, inshallah, uh, next month. But then like in the summer, and these courses would be like a Netflix type thing, but it'll be like me actually teaching you with like test exams because people don't necessarily have the time um, to like study in person. And teachers also, we don't have time to teach like one or two people, right? It's easier if you can teach a large number of people and then they can interact with you um, through questions and stuff. So the second book actually that um, in the series on theology is a book called Aqidat al-Awam. And aqidah, of course, means like the word aqidah means to not something. Right? The same word, knots. Because the idea is we not our, we tether our actions. We not our hearts and tether our actions to foundational beliefs. So it's called aqidah. Al awam means the masses. And we'll talk about that name in a second. Uh, the, 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 the manuscript is still like being edited. So for those of you here, if you're going to be consistent and you're not going to flake, then you can send me an email and just put like Masses Creed in the email and I'll send you the PDF. But if you like, if you're not going to be consistent, like don't worry about it. But like, do you really need a manuscript if you're not going to be consistent? Because the purpose would be to subject the manuscript to your eyes so that you can, it's not edited, right? So that's one thing you can say, hey, like fix this. Or perhaps like this wording does not work in well, or we didn't, this point wasn't clear, or here's some questions maybe that you can add. Because I believe one of the biggest problems of religious scholarship is it's like a one-way street and learners aren't really active teachers. Whereas you bring a lot to the table, alhamdulillah, your experiences, your life, questions that you have, um, the unique uh, roles that you play in society. Those are very important for us to inject into the veins of the pedagogy of the Muslim community so that the tradition is relevant to the people. If we just read classical texts and regurgitate al-masail, al-atiqa, you know, like the old kind of issues, that's the problem. That's why people don't find relevance in their theology and in their faith. But if we subject the tradition to the contemporary gaze, and then we take the questions of that, that gaze and plug that into the tradition, then we have a unique opportunity not only to contextualize the tradition, but to make sure that our context is orthodox. So there's like a duality here that's very important. One is critical thinking and engagement, and then the outcome is like something that's relevant to people and speaks to their issues, 
and people find confidence in what's relevant to them, what they can measure, what they can understand. And then number two is we, most importantly, as Allah says, we make sure like what we're doing is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We find when it comes to the tradition, we find Muslims falling into three camps. Those who want to preserve the tradition and forsake their era. So it's all about preserving the past with no like inspiration for the future. And we find people like this. Number two, people who want to completely reject anything from the tradition in the name of reform, uh, in the name of like what we call tajdeed. But this is not really tajdeed, this is tabdeed. Tabdeed means to destroy, just like to completely ignore. Like what community would turn us back on like 1400 years of scholarship and experience? And then the third are people who, al-mutawasitun, who are in the middle, who understand that the tradition is important because it keeps us grounded. And I like to use the word traditions also. The traditions keep us grounded. And by injecting our lives into those traditions, we are able to revitalize those traditions, make them relevant, and maintain like social responsibility. As the Prophet said, the reason that people don't like the third option is it's hard to teach that way. Right? It's easy for me to memorize, like I memorize this book, I can just read it. And I can leave. But for me to try to answer questions from you about things that I'm not prepared for, that's a whole nother ballgame. And for you to try to interject religious principles into your life, that's a whole nother ballgame. So that third um, educational philosophy is one that's rooted in the sunnah of the Prophet was rooted in our historic community for many years. And it forces us to take education deliberately and seriously and as a process. You can't be a great educator if you're lazy. And you can't be a great student if you're lazy. You got to work for it. So this may force us to kind of do something we tend not to like to do, and that's think uh, and use our mind. So if you send me an email, inshallah, you just put like Masses Creed, my email address is sw, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, sw at suhaibweb.com. It's like easy. sw suhaibweb at suhaibweb.com. Uh, inshallah, and I can send you uh, the readings, and I'll, I'll really appreciate your, your engagement. And I want to encourage you to engage, you know, um, constructively and critically. So, alhamdulillah, the first book that I wrote, Essentials of Islamic Faith, um, I was deliberately very simple. Uh, I presented like the bare foundations of Islamic theology and, and, and an approach towards theology. The Sunni community uh, tend to have two approaches towards orthodoxy, towards articulating um, what they considered were orthodox beliefs. And in that book, which was a classical text like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, was written in Al-Azhar by Sheikh Ahmad Dardir, Aqeedah Al-Tawheediyah. I just took the book and really kind of let it speak for itself. Unpacked a few issues just to prepare you for the second book, um, because I believe, again, that education is a process and that we prepare people to move from like one stage to another stage to another stage to another stage to another stage.
So this book uh, is going to be uh, perhaps a little bit different. It's really important that we think about faith as three or four components. The first component is to learn, it's cognition. The second component is to believe. The third component is to act. And the fourth component is to be patient. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَا فِي خُسْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَأَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِسَبْرِ Allah swears by time that if time is not used for learning and faith, good deeds and patience and da'wah, then that time is going to be perhaps against us. And that's why Luqman, with his son, the first thing he said, يَا بُنَيَّ لَا تُشِكْ بِلَّهِ Oh my son, don't commit shirk. So the first thing he starts out is learning faith. The second thing, يَا بُنَيَّ أَقِيمِ الصَّلَةِ The second is actions. Establish prayer. The third, وَاسْبِرَ عَلَى مَا أَصَابَكَ Right? What more bin ma'ruf? Call to good, forbid the evil. He says to his son, الحق. And the last thing that he said to his son, Be patient. So, Surah Al Asr, like those foundational principles in Surah Al Asr, the acquisition of learning, it's very important that we learn. That way we can be constructively critical. Our scholarship will be crippled if the masses are not intelligent. If the masses aren't engaging scholarship, then scholarship becomes like, you know, becomes very like static and, and, and doesn't address issues. And, and unfortunately, there's been an attitude created or a climate created by religious scholars and activists and teachers that is probably largely rooted in insecurity that doesn't encourage you to ask questions. Just like having access, like very, very important to have access because that raises and creates relevance in the knowledge. So the first is the acquisition by learning and thinking. The second is to believe and affirm in our hearts, to weigh it, to struggle with it. The third is to act on it. The fourth is to call to it, whether personally or outside of our own spaces. And then to be patient. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the 47th chapter of the Qur'an says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكَ Allah says that you should know, you should learn the meaning of لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ and then you seek forgiveness. So learning and then the action. That's why we have a very important principle that says, الْعِلْمُ إِمَامُ الْعَمَلُ That knowledge is the imam of action. And Sayyidina Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he said, Man amila amalan bighayri ilmin yufsidu akthar mimma yuslih. Sayyidina Umar ibn Abdul Aziz said, Whoever acts without knowing creates more harm than good. Mutanabi is a great poet. He said, Arra'yu qabala shaja'a shaja'ani huwa al-awwalu wa hiya mahalu thani. Which means to think before you're brave is two braveries. Meaning to like strategically think about bravery, not just to be consumed by passion. So Islam appreciates passion, appreciates emotion. Of course, the hadith said to love for Allah, to hate for Allah. But that should be tethered with knowledge. And you can apply that to any situation like uh, love. Like people think they're in love, but they, they, do we really know what it means to be? Do, am I in love with you or do I love you? two very different issues. One is passion without being rooted in like responsibility. One is responsibility that tempers and guides that passion. 
Because we see in the Muslim community, oftentimes people who suddenly become religious and they have that burst, they have that emotion, but they don't have any type of foundational tethering. And they actually end up like sometimes pushing people away from the religion. They go too hard on people. So it's like someone let loose in a pharmacy who's not a pharmacist and they're writing prescriptions for people. Uh, you know, uh, my head hurts. Okay, take some Prozac. Give me Prozac for a headache. You don't believe me? They're very charismatic, very passionate. We might believe them. Okay, I'll take Prozac. And then we end up harming ourselves. And that's why one of the great, great scholars, he said something I put in the introduction of the book. He said, The evidence is that direct us to having a relationship with the Creator, and His oneness, subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are alike, you know, prescriptions and medicines. Which are used to cure the heart. So what he's saying here is like, an educator has to be responsible and wise and not just passionate. And oftentimes our community, we fall for passion and we neglect foundational learning. And sometimes we find people who may be very brilliant and gifted, but they don't have, like, they don't have swagger. So the Prophet ﷺ is afsahul arab and the Prophet ﷺ is very educated, but he's also extremely eloquent. He knows how to talk. He knows how to utilize mechanisms to grab people's attention and pull them into the discourse. And then he says, this is very beautiful what this sheikh is saying. And he said, he's, he's using this as a metaphor for the content provider, for the religious teacher. Like oftentimes when I ask young people, how would you describe your experiences in Sunday school? Your experiences. And the, the number one answer I got was curated. Curated and intimidated. So subhanAllah, man, we're creating a community of intimidated people. So the Sheikh says that the, the evidences, meaning the, the educational process of teaching people about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is similar to medicine, which is prescribed to cure people. And that, and he mentions two things very important for content providers to think about. If the person is not knowledgeable of the medicine, nor do they have experience in treating people, then their harm, his harm, her harm, will be greater than his or her good. So we see now, in, and this is something that we're going to talk about hopefully in the future here, when we talk about training religious leadership and training educators, there's two important things that people should have. They should have the experience, but they should do some residency. There should be like an apprentice process for Islamic studies teachers. There should be an apprenticing for future imams. When I came back from overseas, they just threw me in a masjid, man. I luckily had been trained before, but and worked as an apprentice imam for 10 years. But can you imagine if you just come from overseas 
and suddenly you're plugged into a massive masjid and you have no human experience. You might have never been married. So you just don't understand the EQ needed to be in that role. So the Shaykh is saying, Musta'miran wahadiqan. That there should be experience and there should also be like mastery. And what he's talking about here is the art of religious education, how to teach people. Then he says, كَذَلِكَ الْإِرْشَارُ بِالْأَدِلَّةِ إِلَى الْهِدَايَةِ إِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ عَلَى قَدِرْ إِدْرَاكِ الْعُقُورِ كَانَ الْإِفْسَارُ الْأَقَائِدِ بِالْأَدِلَةِ أَكْثَرْ مِنْ إِسْرَيْهَا SubhanAllah. He said the same thing like with religious knowledge. If you don't understand the people that you work with and you don't understand where they are, then you may over-medicate them. Or you may under-medicate them. But the point is you're going to harm them. So that takes us to the purpose of, of this book. Um, Imam Al-Ahmad Al-Marzuqi Al-Husseini Al-Mariki is from uh, the Aila of Sayyidina Hussein He's Husseini, so he's from Ahl Bayt. And he was a great scholar. He lived like 200 years ago in Egypt. He went to Azhar. Azhar is like the Hogwarts of the Muslim world without magic. And... Um, he noticed that in the beginning of the 18th century, there was this fishery that was starting to happen between Muslims, like you're just everyday people and scholars. And understand that at that time, the language, especially the legalese of scholarship in the Muslim world was extremely refined. Uh, to the point, if I gave like any Arabs here, if I gave you like a classical legal document and I said, read this, You'd be like, you wouldn't understand because it was written in a very, very formalized legal wording that valued small expression that carried massive meaning. So it became like a problem because your everyday Arab speaker, like it's like us when we read legal manuals, we get lost. If we don't understand the terminology and sometimes words would have like multiple meanings. So Imam al-Marzuqi, he was an Azhar, and, and at that time Azhar functioned as a public institution. So he became very concerned, especially in issues of theology, understand that the French have visited Egypt by this time, the British are now paying attention to Egypt, and Egypt has gone through a lot of like, political turmoil. Egypt is one of the first Arab countries to try to modernize education. And what that meant is not necessarily something bad. What that meant is that every citizen has the opportunity to learn. Whereas before, learning was a luxury. Like being able to go and study and learn how to read and write, it was like having like an iPad. It was like having something really nice. It wasn't something that the masses had. So Sheikh, he decides I need to take a text that's going to encapsulate Orthodox creed, but then write it in a way that fits and treats the ailments of the people. And that's why he calls it the Masses Creed. So it's almost like a tribute to his community, as if to say like, hey, like I got your back. So now if we see like uh, brothers and sisters trying to use technology to reach Muslims or different avenues of expression, we should appreciate that. Like, they're trying to do something. They may do it horribly wrong, but at least they're trying. And some may do it, mashallah, really, really, really right.
So he, he decides to write this book and there's three things that you're going to take from this book. Number one is it should increase our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like we should improve the sweetness of salah. We should improve like our relationship with the unseen. Like that's really, really important. Number two, it should prepare us for a life of prophetic value. What kind of impact are you going to leave in the world, man? It doesn't have to be massive, right? I have a problem with that. Everyone wants to be like the hero, right? Or the shiro. But like, what if you just like do something that's not massively impactful, but like really, really successfully changes a few people or impacts a few people around you? Alhamdulillah, man. So it should help us to live for a life of prophetic value. And a life of prophetic value is... I'm going to be committed to good regardless of the impact. So whether people like it, whether it goes viral, that's not prophecy. Prophecy doesn't care. It cares about viral, but it understands that viral is from God. My job is just to like, my job is just to like do a good job of relating the message. But if it doesn't go viral, alhamdulillah. that's why the prophet said, there's some prophets, they had zero followers. Like, can you imagine? Like, I knew of a brother, subhanAllah, in the 70s, uh, Abdul Malik, uh, who used to be in Medina Masjid here in New York years ago. He was with the Jamaat Dawah and Tabligh. So he moved to Houston, like back in the Dizays, before Houston became Little Karachi, you know what I mean? Like, they call it Little Karachi, or is that Chicago? And um, he started a masjid in his neighborhood. And nobody came. So he said, I started and I would, I wanted to be sincere. So I would actually go and give lectures to myself. And he, he wasn't mentally ill, right? But he was like, I wanted to make sure I was sincere. So, and then alhamdulillah, that community grew, mashallah. But like his initial effort wasn't about like, Yo, I get a lot of likes and like everybody following me. His initial effort was like, for Allah. And so then he, he said, like, I learned by not speaking to anybody how to speak to people. It's like, subhanAllah, like Allah teaches people, man. I learned by having an empty congregation how to have a full congregation. Because I've, I've been empty. And that emptiness taught me what not to do. SubhanAllah. But he was like, I didn't pay attention to that stuff. Rahimahullah, he, he passed away. Uh, so, of course, strategically, we want to make sure we try to do our best and we want to have the best effort and we hope that it's impactful. But at the end of the day, Success is from God. And that's why the Muslim should never get upset because if you've done it, you've succeeded. But the outcome is left to who? It's left to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third is that it will allow us to familiarize ourselves with the depth, scope, and beauty of Islamic scholarship. And as a post-colonial community that continue, well, not really post-colonial, I mean, we're still getting drones and economic warfare declared on the Muslim world um, constantly. We're still experiencing like the hangover of, of uh, a white gin and tonic. And when you come out of that, when I come out of that, 
it may have impacted our attitude towards our tradition. Vis-a-vis modernity, spirituality. There are some places in the academy to be a believer is synonymous with being insane. So, like, in that kind of spectrum, how can I go back and say, man, the tradition actually was very rich, and there was a lot there. And it doesn't mean that the tradition is perfect. We talked about the three attitudes towards the tradition, but there are things there to be inspired, inspired of. Uh, how, do, how did this all come about? Uh, in the year 1258, after Hijri, Imam al-Marzuqi had an incredible experience. Uh, he dreamt uh, that he was surrounded by the Sahaba. Has anyone here ever dreamt of the Sahaba? Anybody? MashaAllah. MashaAllah. And the Sahaba, some of them, they turned to him, and he noticed that the Prophet was like sitting amongst them. And the Prophet said to him, Iqra al Manzuma, read the poem, Alati man dakhala jannah. Whoever reads it will go, whoever like memorizes and lives it and learns it will enter paradise. And they will achieve the objective of life. And they will align themselves with the book and sunnah. Of course, we don't believe this is hadith, right? Like, don't get it twisted. But we do have the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that said, true dreams are mubashirat, are like, these true dreams are a part of Nabuwa. What that means is if someone has a dream that agrees with general principles of Islam, not like I have a new dream, right? Like I have this dream that I can change Salah. Okay, this is Nabuwa, I'm gonna change Salah now. That's Bid'ah. But a dream that aligns with something like maybe you have a dream that tells you go to South Africa and start looking after women because of ICE now who are being sexually trafficked. Like that's considered like a prophetic dream. So when the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, he said that to the Sheikh, the Sheikh, he said, I don't know this poem, right? And then the Prophet said, Then the Prophet read a poem to him about faith, about theology. And when he woke up, he had it memorized. SubhanAllah. So he went to his students and he said, I'm going to read this, write this down. Um, so when they wrote it down, uh, Alhamdulillah, he this is the poem that's in front of you. Like it's really cool, man. And that's why it's important to get beyond the, sh the smugness and the dimness and coldness of the secular world into a place where people still believe in dreams. And not like dreams do crazy stuff, right? But like dreams that have like real meaning and value. So subhanAllah, they wrote it, and then he wrote an explanation, and then he dispensed it to the scholars. He was like, peer review is very important. And, you know, mashallah, the book was like widely accepted and praised by scholars. They were really shocked. And it's taught now in places like the Gambia, and Senegal, Mauritania, Morocco. It's basically taught everywhere uh, except Saudi Arabia. So 
um, except in, the, in certain parts of Saudi Arabia, like the far, um, like the far east, southeast of Saudi Arabia and Asa. So, and that's not to like go after the Saudis or things, it's just they ain't rolling like this. Yes. So, so the sheikh is from this generation of people who believes in um, making the language accessible. So the writer of this book had this dream, and then the book is representative of his one of his attempts to 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 like quell that divide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. No, it's a good question. Don't be shy. Mashallah, it's wonderful. It's my fault for not explaining it. Then after some time, Shaykh Ahmadi saw the Prophet Has anyone here ever seen the Prophet in their dreams? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It just means you're more responsible. It doesn't mean you're special. You know, people have dreams, I saw the Prophet in my dream, now I can like go crazy. No, man. It's not like, you know, you did CrossFit and now you can eat pizza. Right, it's like, that comes with great responsibility. But the Prophet said, whoever sees me, faqad ra'ani. But Al-Qadi Iyad said that the only way you can be for certain that you saw the Prophet in your dream is that your alim will be shifati. That you know how the Prophet looks from A to Z. If not, then you ask people who know. So, something to think about. But a few, a few months later, he saw Sayyidina Muhammad والسلام, in his dream. And the Prophet وسلم, said, hey, recite that poem that I read to you. So he said, Alhamdulillah, I, re I read it to the Prophet. And each line he would say, Ameen. Again, it's not, doesn't mean this, this didn't happen, right? But it's like, Mubasharat. And... The scholars of his era, they didn't reject this. One of the challenges of the Salafi, Saudi Salafi, Dawah, is that it has aligned itself with secularism. And that is that secularism not only opposes the supernatural, and not only opposes superstition, it also opposes the supernatural. Islam opposes superstition, but affirms what? The supernatural. We see now an effort to destroy the houses of the Sahaba, the, the tombs of the righteous people, you know, to erase our history, to, ah, oh, your dream means nothing. Right? So now we became the smugness of the secular world in the name of puritanical literalism. And this doesn't apply to all, all Salafis. I'm talking about that that's being pushed into communities just like there's apolitical Sufism, it's a problem also, right? Pushed into communities to divide us and weaken us and keep us from fulfilling our prophetic goal. So none of the scholars around the Sheikh said to him like, this is Bakwas, man. How you had this dream, bro. Allah. No, they said, Alhamdulillah, that's like a beautiful thing. And that's a great thing. And that's why anyone who taught the book, they mentioned it. But of course, it's not a hadith of the Prophet It's just a beautiful experience. I consider these kind of moments like when you're on the treadmill and you want to stop and then someone says something really nice to you and you can keep going. That's kind of what this means. We don't take any legal rulings from dreams. 
We don't take, you know, I saw this in a dream that all of you should like take me to the dining hall every Thursday. And the prophet said, you should take me there. That's how people get used, man. So we have a very important principle. لَا يَجُوزُ تَأْسِيسُ الْأَحْكَامِ عَلَى And it's not allowed to like, to take rulings from dreams. Yes, sir. This stuff you mentioned about seeing the prophet, is it also applied to seeing other prophets in dreams? Of course, beautiful, man. Alhamdulillah. Those are great things, inshallah. But again, we don't take like, I've seen people come like, yeah, you know, I saw this sign in my dream that said like, go right, so I knew I shouldn't marry that person. I was like, no, no, it means you should take all your money out of your bank account and in your right hand, give it to me. <laughs> like, how do you know it means that? I'm like, well, how do you know it means that? Like, that's very subjective. So what we say is like these dreams, like the general vibe is they're great, they're good things. But we don't take tafsir from them. Like we don't take like specific, like we don't say whoever read, doesn't read this poem is a bad person, for example. Uh, it's not like that, alhamdulillah. So after the poem was completed, and this was his effort to kind of like create, what's funny is now it may seem hard for us. So imagine his time, he's trying to make it accessible. Maybe for us it's difficult. And it's important to understand that Ezhar went through a lot of changes and still is going through a lot of changes. One of the important changes that Ezhar went through, this kind of Harvard of the Muslim world, where it, it found a lot of opposition from that first tier of kind of a traditional school, was that Ezhar was trying to make the tradition accessible to everybody. What was called Tabsita Turath. And he becomes one of the first to start this. The first to start this. So today, inshallah, we'll read the introduction. I just want to advise you, like, it's not hard. Like, don't be intimidated. You should enjoy this experience. And like, if you have questions, you can just ask me. Don't worry. I want you to feel comfortable. Center yourself, alhamdulillah. And, and don't like tell yourself, like, this is not for me. Like, I feel sorry for people Like we put them in positions where they feel that way. If it wasn't for you, why are you here? Mm. You know, so like, have some confidence in yourself. And I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm a convert. Being a convert is to be constantly in a state of exploration. You know, like, oh, chicken tikka, amazing. <laughs> right? Ma'luba, amazing. Right? So today we were downstairs with uh, our friends, Rada and uh, Munya. And they're, you know, I was telling them, like, you know who Muhammad Wirdi is? Muhammad Wirdi is like the Michael Jackson of East Africa, right? And she was like, how do you know that? I'm a convert. And then Shah Khan, we started busting out Shah Khan. How do you know Shah Khan? I'm a convert. Wu-Tang, you're converts. Right? <laughs> but like the point is, you know, for me, Islam has always been about learning and growing and, and not challenging, but within that realm of, of, of growth to like enjoy it. So don't, don't worry, inshallah. And then next week you'll have the text and, you know, You'll be able to, uh, to write some notes and stuff. So it's a poem. Here's a question. Why, why would he write in poetic form? And there's 13 ways to conduct a poem in Arabic, more or less. He, he writes in the simplest way. It's called rajiz. Rajiz in Arabic is called himar al-sha'ara, which means the donkey of the poet. What that means is like if you want to work, if you want to get into it, this form of poetry is the one that you can like use for anything. It'll work like a donkey. And a donkey I'm from Oklahoma, I could talk about it, is a lot easier to ride than a horse.
So it's like it's easy to 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 you know work with, but then also it's accessible and easy for who? For the people, man. And perhaps the reason he wrote it as a poem is that in his age, illiteracy was very common. So people learn by memorizing. I've had teachers, I had a teacher, I've told you about him before, Sheikh Ali Saleh. A Sheikh Ali Saleh is blind. MashaAllah, his wife was blind. She used to make Khatam al-Quran every three days. SubhanAllah. Sheikh Ali Saleh. If you're from Cairo, he lives next to Baba Zuwayla. Uh, so Sheikh is like a poet. Like he has like extemporaneous like bars. He can just drop bars for days about anything. So my ijazah in one book, he wrote it. He told me, write it as a poem. Qaja'a suhaybu min amrika. Right? He made like this, you know, فَشَرَحْتُهُ كِتَابَ nahwi. Like, so he made it like a poem. I was like, yo, how do you do this, man? Because it's not easy. One time I brought my children to visit him, uh, Shifa and Malik. And he said, because he can't see, he's like, Da'ida? Who's that? I said, Da'ida? Shifa or Da'ida Malik? He said, Shafi, Shifa un Hafidati wa Akhuha Malik. I memorized it and I didn't write it down. And I'm not Arab. The point is, like, that's the system of education that used to exist. So I said to him, like, how did you learn how to do this? He's like, my mom was blind too, and she used to play in Masjid al Azhar. So she used to listen. So she learned from all those shuh. Imagine now we kick people out of the mosques. Allahu Akbar. But his mom, so she memorized the madhab Hanafi, she memorized it. Poetry, she memorized it. Uh, composition, even though she couldn't see to write, she memorized it. And she was a hafidha. Just by like being in the, the area of knowledge. So the sheikh, he wrote it as a poem because in those days poetry was easy so we learn something now like in our work regardless of our profession if our job is to work with people because sometimes people in a scholarly setting there's a certain type of you know language and format that we're stuck to but like if we're really trying to serve people then we need to be able to serve people so he begins he says abda'u Bismillahi wa birrahmani wa birrahimi da'im al-ihsani. He said, I began Bismillah. Here, Bismillah, the ba means a tabarruk. So, like when we slaughter an animal, we say Bismillah, like with barakah. So, the idea is here, like I'm opening my text seeking Allah. Because without Allah, I won't be able to do it. Here we learn something from the Sheikh. The Sheikh, he became the Mufti in Mecca, by the way. Like, Sheikh was a G. So, he, like someone today got traded, right? He got traded from one city to another. The Sheikh, he got, he traded and he went to Mecca. And in Mecca, he also was very successful. But the point is, even though he's really accomplished at what he does, and he's a great composer of poetry, 
he doesn't allow professional accolades to cause him to forget he needs Allah. Do you feel you need Allah? Like in our moments where we're doing what we're really good at, do we remember Allah? The Shaykh, he's teaching us something here. That's why one of my teachers said about the ulama, the good ulama, he said the sign of a great scholar, like a great person with God, is matu wa'ashu. They may be dead, but you still learn from them, like how they carried themselves, how they acted. So, for example, when people used to see Sayyidina, Sayyidah Fatima, alayhi salam, they said, man, she reminds us of the Prophet How she looks, how she talks, how she acts, right? And after her, Sayyidina Hussein. So like, mat wa'ash. So like, if you think about it, you talk about some of these luminaries of history, like, you think they're still alive. Like, if there was someone here that didn't know much, they'd be like, Imam Shafi. Oh, where's that Imam at? Is he in Jackson Heights? Like, the way we talk about Imam Shafi or Rabi al Adawiyah, the great woman saint, like, they're still around. So the Sheikh, he said, the signs of like a great person is Matwa Ash. They died, but their, their impact, like Malcolm X, like, you still feel like he's here because of the impact. It was so systemic. So the sheikh, even though he's like really, really successful, this poem is, he's writing this poem for like for the basics. Like he's writing for people. He could do this in his sleep, right? But still he's like, I need Allah. So he says, Abda'u, I began, Bismillah, with Allah. And actually there's something beautiful that may also help us. Like when we pray and stuff, you know, when you say Bismillah, Actually, it doesn't mean with the name of God. This is a little technical. It means with the names of Allah. Because oftentimes a singular possessive in Arabic means a plural. That's why the Basmala is amazing, man. So like when you say Bismillah, you're saying Bismi Malik Al-Qudus Al-Rahman Al-Rahim Al-Malik Al-Qudus Al-Salam Al-Mu'min Al-Muhaymin Al-Aziz Al-Jabbar Al-Mutakabbir so when you say Bismillah, you mean all of Allah's names. Because it's a singular, in Arabic this is a lot, like a singular plural, uh, a singular possessive actually means a plural. So the Shaykh, he says, Abda'u Bismillahi Rahmani. Why would he mention Ar-Rahman? Because of the Quran, of course. And to remind himself, like, I may make mistakes, I may screw up, but Allah, Rahman, Alhamdulillah, Inshallah, through his benevolence, I will be able to achieve this goal. Wabir Rahimi, and the one who exercises mercy. Da'im al-Ihsani, meaning that Allah's excellence and benevolence is constant. Doesn't like have a good day, doesn't have a bad day. And this is one of the foundational principles of our faith. And, and there's, happen there's something happening here that I'll talk about in a second, that scholars used to allude to the subject matter of a book in the introduction, Barat Stidlal. It's like a style, like I'm gonna show you what I'm talking about. So it's like, if it was like a cipher, right? He's setting you up with his bars. She's setting you up with her rhymes. So the Sheikh is saying, I'm gonna kind of give you an idea about what I'm talking about in the introduction. This was like 
uh, uh, classical style of Muslim scholars. So now we learn something, man. Our scholars were people of letters. He was a poet. It wasn't like, you know, you need to believe God is one. We're going to go to hell. Yala ma salama. Right? He, he's employing art and beauty and expression. So he cares about people. He wants to reach people. So he says, Abda'u bismillahi warrahmani wa birrahimi da'imi al-ihsani. And how we say it in Arabic is very nice. Abda'u bismillahi warrahmani wa birrahimi da'imi al-ihsani. You can hear the mm, 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 mm. That's why in the, in the poetry it's called Bahar. Because the Arabic Bahar is an ocean. Because it's like you're on a wave. So eventually when we read it, like we'll read a lot of it, you'll feel like, oh, oh. Yeah. And there's some forms that are like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> but luckily that wasn't this form. <laughs> that one's tough. And we know that this is the sunnah of Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Whenever he would undertake something, he would start with Allah, even though he's the prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So even like Salah, like the prophet knows how to pray. But whenever he would pray, he would say, وَجَّهْتُ وَجَهِ لِلَّذِي فَطَرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ حَنِيفًا وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ وَجَّهْتُ وَجْهِ Like, I turn myself completely to the one فَطَرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ who originated the heavens and the earth. Hanifa in Tawheed وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ And I don't associate any partners with him. So even though the Prophet is the best one to ever pray, he still turns to Allah. And of course, we all know that when uh, the Prophet وسلم, even in life, when he was faced with things that were perplexing, what would he do? Hmm. Istikhara. Like whenever you would have choices to make, you will turn to Allah for the mundane and for the serious. And that's why in the Quran, when Allah praises the people of faith, he calls them al-muqarrabin. Those who are close, meaning their thoughts are always close with God. They're always like, you know, kind of revolving around this constant relationship, whether it's in the mundane, whether it's in the great. Doesn't mean that's sinful behavior. We're talking about achievement and motivation. So he said, Allahumma inni astakhiruka bi'almika. Oh Allah, I make istikhara. Istikhara means to look for good, khair. I'm looking atlub khair. Sometimes people tell us things about istikhara which we don't, we shouldn't do. Like we, Islam is too cool for us, man. So we always add something to the kale. Like there's no need to add blue cheese to this. It's already good. Right? There's no need to fry, you know what I mean? Some Brussels sprouts. So people be like, you know, for your istikhara to really be istikhara, you have to have a dream. No, you don't. For your istikhara to really be istikhara, like something has to like, some weird thing has to happen. The classical early community of Muslims understood that istikhara was to pray two rakat, make this dua, and then go for what you feel is right. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Habibi. Begins 
these are the, your, your letters and lettering you you become your maybe manifesting from um, from people who are unlettered to lettered and the letters I'm prescribing onto you are bringing reality to your existence so speak through my letters that I've given you mashallah something like that I mean alif lamim not, not, not to say that that's the only example but to say when you said don't backtrack though what you said is beautiful don't worry go ahead though Continue in your backtrack, even though you didn't need to. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, please. Yalla. And that, that, and Muqarrabin are those who have understood the letters that Allah has prescribed upon us. And like how the word is made in the Quran, it has a form, and how it connects from letter to letter that makes a meaning. And the harakat are on the, the accents on the, the word almost are like the prescription of how to act with the word to yeah, yeah, exactly. There's adab and alif lamim, and alif lamim is saying, "Look, there's some things you just don't know the meaning to. Then there's other things that you will know the meaning, as if to say, like, alim. So there's this idea of like transcend, like transcendent knowledge and engagement, seeking. Um, so in this famous du'a istikhara, like you don't have to see a dream." Nothing strange has to happen. Can you pray multiple istikharas for the same thing? Yes, as long as it doesn't become compulsive. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he warned us, he said, Allah doesn't get tired. And you can't compel God. Like, if I do this a thousand times, God will do it. No. Then that would make me God. But I pray istikhara, and I try. There is one thing, though, with istikhara, which is, is, is agreed upon. You shouldn't wait. Like, okay, I'll make istikhara now. Okay. Nothing's happening. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Like, what do you think? You're in your phone, like, oh my God. Oh. <laughs> spectrum, my spectrum bill. No, we have to make effort, alhamdulillah. And trust Allah. Well, how do I know that effort is right? Who inspired you to think about that effort? So that's part of your istikhara. So the dua, and it's here, so when people um, get the text, you can learn the dua. I know it's important. And, and sometimes girls ask and women ask, like, what if I'm on my menstru I'm menstruating, so I can't pray the two rakat? You can just make the dua for istikhara. Because an axiom, orders are based on ability. Al-amr ibn astitah. So I can do your best. Can't be like, yeah, I got this like, really important job opportunity. Well, right now, like, I can't pray. So when I can pray, I'll make istikhara and I'll let you know. The job's not going to be like, oh, okay, we'll wait till you're ready to pray your turakat and then we'll hold the job for you. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Like, I got my Columbia scholarship information. I'm sorry, NYU scholarship information. And, and they're like, sorry, University of Oklahoma scholarship information. But I told them, wait, because I can't pray for a few more days. Of course, like Islam would never ask someone to have to like burden themselves in that way. You know what I mean? So just make istikhara as best you can. But the dua, Allahumma inni astakhiruka bi ilmika wa astakhiruka bi qudratika wa asaluka min fadlika al-azim fa innaka ta'lam wa la a'lam fa innaka taqdir wa la aqdir wa ta'lam wa la a'lam wa anta alamul ghuyub. Oh Allah, I seek your help in making this decision about which I'm confused. Astakhiruk, I seek the khair from you by your knowledge and by your power, and I ask you of your infinite blessings. 
because you have authority, I have no authority, you know, I don't know, and the unseen is in your hands. Then we say, Allahumma in kunta ta'lam anna hadha al-amra, oh Allah, if you know that this thing, and then you say it, and you can also say it in English, like if you can't say it in Arabic, it's okay, like, so, we want to make things hard for people, man, right? And I'd rather someone say it and feel it and mean it, and just like say it and not understand it. Then we say the issue. Is good for me in this life, is good for my religion, is good for me in my life, and good for my hereafter. Then make it easy for me, facilitate it for me, make it a potential for me. And if this thing you know in your knowledge is not good for my faith and my life and my hereafter, Cast it away from me, and cast me away from it. And then two narrations, bless me, another narration, like give me contentment. But the idea is that the Prophet, even though he's really the Prophet, mashallah, he still turns to Allah. So the Shaykh, we learn from the opening line, that he turns to Allah, he has hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's like an important quality we can have. Even, and sometimes when you catch yourself like, yo, I got this, that's when you should turn to God. It's easy to turn to Allah when the boat is sinking. Oh, when the boat's sinking, everyone becomes Abdul Qadr Jailani. Everybody becomes like the great saint. Like on airplanes, man, when you hit that air pocket, and everybody's like, oh! Like everybody becomes like Arifin of Allah, right? But when you land, it's like, all right, all right. We landed. The letter ba. We talked about this before, but the letter ba actually means to be with. Talked about it on Tuesday. So we say, Amantu billah, I believe with God. That's a better translation. I believe in God because first thing is when he says, Abda'u bismi, I begin with Allah. That implies like wherever I'm at in life, my comings, my goings, my successes, my failures, I'm with Allah. That's why many scholars said that ba is harful ihsan. That ba is the letter of ihsan because to worship Allah as though you see him. So if I know Allah is with me, I'm going to live as though there's this constant relationship. So when we translate it as faith in God, we really cut it short. Faith in God is the acquisition of rules and principles. Faith with God is learning and living. Then he continues and he says, uh, uh, and the rest you can read inshallah on your own. He says, then praise be to Allah, the one who has no beginning and no ending. So again, he's like trying to tell you, hey, this is about theology. He's like isharat to the mawdu' of the kitab. Again, I said earlier, that was like the style of classical writers to in their introduction, show you this is what I'm going to be talking about. So he says, فَالْحَمْدُرِ الْقَدِيمِ الْأَوَّلِ he said that then praise is due to Allah who has no beginning and no ending. Allah is beyond physical time. Al-Baqi, the one who never will die, bila tahawuli and doesn't change. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he says, is everybody okay? Then 
Then he says, peace and blessings upon constantly the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sarmada means forever, like abada. ثُمَّ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ سَرْمَدَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ Upon the Prophet the best who ever singled out God. As though like in the introduction, he gave you the crux of Tawheed. The crux of Tawheed is understanding and living. So when he says, Allah has no beginning, Allah has no ending, he's Ar-Rahman, he's Ar-Rahim. Then he mentions the Prophet and the Prophet as the best to single out God for worship, it's like now he's saying the second part is ibadah. There are a lot of important blessings to send upon uh, and sending peace upon the Prophet And that's something all of us can do. You know, no matter where you are in life, the Prophet he loves you. I mean, the Prophet he showed love to sinners as he showed love to saints. That's why, subhanAllah, there's this funny narration. Uh, Sayyidina Amr ibn As was sitting with a group of Sahaba and they started to argue. What was the argument about? There were women there too. The Prophet loves me more than you. They all legitimately thought because of how the Prophet, so like Imams and leaders in the community, you don't have like favorites. You should be good to everybody. So they were like legitimately confused. No, no, I know he loves me more than you, man. No, no, he loves me more than you. He visited, uh, da, 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 right? So uh, Sayyidina Amr, he went to Sayyidina Nabi and Sahih Muslim. He said, Man nas ilayk. He said, O Messenger of Allah, who do you love the most? Write this down, brothers. He said, Aisha, my wife. Now, this toxic masculinity in the Muslim community, no, where we can't say like, I love my wife in front of people. Like, brother, I don't think you should have said you loved your wife, brother, because you know, subhanAllah, you know, loving your wife is haram. <laughs> like, loving, not loving my wife is good. Like, ha, 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 where are we going with that? Where Sayyidina Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam, was Sayyidina uh, Fatima, he said, Atuhibbina ma uhib. Fatima, do you love what I love? I love what you love. Fahibbi hadihi, fa'ashara ila Sayyidina Aisha. He said, well, then love her. Then he pointed to Aisha in front of everybody. It wasn't like a problem. So when Amr ibn As asked him, And now you're going to understand why Amr ibn As said what he said. <laughs> the next question he said, what about the men though? <laughs> right? Also a very smart answer. Abuha, her dad. But the point is, they're confused. Sometimes we come into communities. One time Hira, she told me, you know, you're not the same with me as you are with the guys. And this is a year ago. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, that's a tough conversation to have. But I'm glad she had it with me. Right? We got to be careful. Do people around us, our kids, our family, our friends, people that we work with, do they feel that we care about them. And also sometimes, you know, you've got to invest in that. So like make people feel loved. So the Sahaba, they don't even know. Who does he love the most? I don't know. Let's ask. So there's a lot of virtues in, in 
understanding that no matter where you are as a Muslim, like the Prophet had a lot of love for everybody. And our communities should be communities of love, man. So there's a number of beautiful virtues that we should take with us sending salawat upon the Prophet Number one is the angels will pray for you. Like sometimes when you're down or you're struggling, no one has my back. Send salawat. Then the malaik will pray for you. The Prophet said, Man مَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ يُسَلِّ عَلَيَّ إِلَّا صَلَّتْ عَلَيْهِ الْمَلَائِكَةُ مَا دَامَ يُسَلِّ عَلَيَّ So the Prophet said that as long as someone is sending salawat upon me, the angels will send salawat upon that person. And it can be done in any language, right? Any form. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Maybe you don't have time. You know, wa ala alihi wa atharu ashabi al abra. You don't have time for that. You say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. You're on the train, man. You're trying to get it in. It's okay. Alhamdulillah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah. The next is your du'as will be answered in this life or the next. So, one of the companions of the Prophet said, I was praying with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, I was praying and the Prophet was sitting with Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Umar. So he said, after I finished my prayer, I began to make dua and I praised God and I sent peace and blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then I prayed for myself. Then the Prophet said to him, Sell, Ta'ta, Allah. The Prophet said, make dua now because it will be answered. Like after you praised God and you sent salawat, ask, ask, ask. So he said, I was sitting next to him and he was like, I was making dua and he was like, ask, ask, keep asking. And then he said, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking. And he understood by sending salawat upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, praising Allah, the, bat, the door of dua, inshallah, was open to him, inshallah. Also, it will help remove anxieties. Doesn't mean, of course, like that we don't seek help or if we're in a therapy, you don't call your therapist and say, Suhaib told me I don't have to come anymore. Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. Alhamdulillah. Those are very real issues for people, man. But we can couple that with spiritual practices. Neither this nor that. So, one of the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Ya Rasulullah, aj'alu thuratha salati alayk. Like, should I make a third of my dhikr, sending prayers upon you and peace and blessings. Prophet said, nah, I'm in shit, if you can. He said, what about half? He said, okay, if you can. He said, what if I make my dua just about you, and my dhikr just about you? And the Prophet said, if you were to do that, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suffice you in your hammak and your anxieties and your fears, and your concerns. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yakfiq. 
and those affairs that worry you about this life and the next. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Of course, we know that the Prophet has a great status. There's a lot of beautiful poetry dedicated to him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When the Imam said, He said, You have surpassed all the Prophets in the internal and external character. And nobody, this is Busayri, and nobody came close to you in your generosity right, and in your knowledge. And everyone will fall short, the Prophets all and people will fall short compared to Sayyidina Nabi alayhi salatu They'll be in need of him. Ya Allah, like how you compare the drop of an ocean or like the sprinkle to the, the flood is like comparing someone to the Prophet So that's the introduction, mashallah. And what did we learn from it as we stop? We learned the philosophy of the writer, his approach, what he was trying to do. Number two, we learned um, that he took his ability to communicate ideas very seriously, deliberately. He had a lot of love for the community of the Prophet You can't be really an Imam or a teacher if you don't love the people. Like you won't be prophetic, even if you're good at it. Like if you don't care for the people, it's like it's the wrong place to be, man. And then we talked about the introduction. We learned to start with God. You know, Imam Ibn Allah said, in al-hikam min adamat najah fi nihaya al-ruju'u ila Allahi fil bidaya. In al-hikam, he said, the sign of a successful ending is that you return to Allah in the beginning. Inshallah, we'll talk. We're going to do a special a weekend on the hikam, inshallah, in the future. But it's very nice. Like, start with God, man. They used to say, Whoever illuminated their ending, it's because they illuminated their beginning. So to start with Allah. And then to send peace and blessings upon Sayyidina Muhammad, his family, and those who follow them, inshallah. Next week, inshallah, we're going to start, we'll finish the, the introduction. There's two lines we didn't mention uh, quickly. And then we're going to start the first chapter on faith and reason. That's his first chapter. Like, how, how, how did scholars deal with the idea of proving something that you can't see in the classical world? How, how do they understand the existence of Allah? And then we're going to talk about 20... What are the universal principles in our understanding uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So be consistent, you know, give it time. One of the challenges also of our community is that we tend to want things like AJ plus videos, which are good. Don't get me wrong. They have their place. But learning about religion is a process. It takes time. And what happens, we tend to go for the event-based Islam, like, man, that talk was so amazing. I'm so super inspired. That's great, but that's salt on the food. But like at the end of the day, I need to have some foundational principles that are understood because I'm not always going to be like up, you know? I'm not always going to be like super excited. I'll have ups and downs. 
So the knowledge is there to like anchor me through the good and through the bad. Any questions, inshallah, before we, before we break out, inshallah? Uh, the email for the book, again, is uh, sw uh, at suhaibweb.com. Maybe some people remember back in the days, uh, suhaibweb.com. Mashallah. So sw at suhaibweb.com. And just put, like, Mass's Creed or Thursday night. And I'll send you the PDF. Don't send me any spam, please, inshallah. I beg you. That's my work email. Um, any questions, inshallah, about anything before we make a move? How's everybody feeling? Does anybody need like special dua? Everybody okay? Yes, sir. Matan is about, uh, I want to say 46 lines. Yeah, yeah. I think 46 or 76, sorry, big difference. Make dua from my memory. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for anyone who's like too scared to ask, you know, uh, to be vulnerable. May Allah make things easy for you, inshallah, and facilitate uh, good for you, inshallah, in your home and in your school and in your personal life, as well as in your family. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with us, to forgive us, uh, even though we have so many mistakes and shortcomings. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to let us truly be uh, here for each other, inshallah, in a way that's sincere and honest. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun ala al-mursaleen walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. So like next week, you probably want to bring it with you. You can use it even on a handheld device. So you can take notes, inshallah. Uh, and imagine like you're going to finish a whole text without any exams. So, although there are questions in the in the in answers here, inshallah.